0: What best keeps you faithful to your wife for 50 years? The threat that she's going to throw you out on your ear if you uh, cheat on her? Or the fact that you love her and want to please her? Well, obviously, love is greater motivation. Even if the fear of the doghouse worked, it would be a pretty miserable marriage after 50 years. And so the apostle moves here from the threat of judgment, which is quite a motivator, to the love of Christ, which is an even greater motivator, as he explains his ministry. From the cross, Christ's love compels us. And we might easily get the wrong ideas we talk about this, for some would introduce here such a kind such a view of love that you might begin to think, and sometimes people speak this way, that service to Christ is like one one uh, perpetual romantic evening. Well, you don't have to read very far. And the accounts of Paul's trouble and Paul's perplexities and Paul's persecution, to know that his service to Christ was not one romantic, loving evening. It's tough to have romantic feelings when you're sitting in a Roman dungeon, chained to a guard. Paul's talking about some kind of love that's more profound than romance. Actually, Paul's logic is based on the truth which he has come to be convinced of, he says here. It's not a feeling at all. It's a factual reality about the effects of God's love, which was displayed in Jesus dying on the cross for us. That reality is simply this. We were united with Christ in his death and resurrection, when the love of Christ was shown forth. We were united with Christ. Therefore, some things follow. When Jesus died in our place, legally that means we died too. On the other hand, when Jesus rose from the dead while acting in our place, then in him we too were raised to new life. We are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. This is not some new truth, this is the gospel. Christ died in our place in order to pay for our sin, that we might be dead to sin. He rose from the dead in order to give us new life as we're joined to him. But then in this particular passage, Paul goes on to unpack some of the implications of that gospel for our service to Christ. He says two things here. First, he says, if Jesus died for us, and so we died, then think about it. We are dead. All those things which come naturally for us don't matter anymore. We are dead. All that deep commitment to maintain control of our lives, it's a thing of the past. We are dead. All natural inclination to live for ourselves and to satisfy ourselves and to do what, I, what we please, it must be gone. For we're dead. For When Christ died, we we're united with him. We're dead. Isn't that what he says in verse 14, 15 at the end there? One died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We're dead to self. Same thing we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You see, from the cross, Christ lays rightful claim to us. Because we are joined to him and he died for us, what we want doesn't matter anymore, we're dead. We belong to him. but that's not the most important point. For secondly, Paul argues that when we are then given new life, it is nothing less than the new life of Christ who rose from the dead. In other words, God doesn't just give us our old life back, He gives us new life. We're not just resuscitated to go on living for ourselves for a few more years. No, he gives us new life. His resurrection life. Life filled with his spirit. That's how Paul argues in Romans 6. He says, so consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Alive with Christ's new resurrection kind of life. And what does that life of Christ look like? Especially in regard to serving God. What did Christ's life look like? Well, we read it throughout the New Testament. Driven by his love for the Father. Moved with compassion for sinners. Christ went to the cross. Laid down his life. That's exactly Paul's point. From the cross, Christ's love now compels us to the same kind of self sacrifice. You see, we're not talking here about what kind of motivation can we conjure up to keep us going. We're talking about how God moves us to serve Him. In fact, this word compel here an interesting word. It can also mean constrain or control. It's it's like being in a vice, pressured in a certain direction. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, the same exact word is used of Jesus' compulsion to go to the cross. Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, speaking of the cross, and how distressed, there's the word, how constrained how compelled I am until it's completed. I know what's ahead, in other words. And I am compelled to go there. Why? Why? Because of his love for the Father? Because of his love for us? And now that compulsion of Jesus' life, his compelling love, lives in us. As from the cross, Christ's love constrains us to the same kind of service. That's just the way God works this new life in us. Scott Heffman from Wheaton College puts it this way, This new life refers to being compelled by Christ's love to live for others rather than seeking spiritual experiences for oneself or pursuing the fame and fortune that comes from self-promotion. To love like Christ because of Christ's love is to consider the spiritual growth Of others more important than one's own status or security. To live for Christ is to live like Christ. What transforms the believer, therefore, is that the judge is now also the Savior. Oh, that grip of love. Is what George Matheson was explaining when he wrote this famous hymn. <laughs> o love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O cross, lift us up my head. I dare not try to fly from thee. I lay in the dust my glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. From the cross Christ compels us with his love. The great missionary pioneer Hudson Taylor was interviewing some young people who had volunteered for the Lord's service, and he asked them about about their motivations to go, to do this work of of, uh, ministry. And one said, Oh, I want to reach others across the sea because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And another said, I want to go because millions are dying without ever heard of Jesus without ever, having ever heard of Jesus. And he's the only one that can save them. Others had similar answers. Hudson Taylor looked at them thoughtfully for a moment and said, All your answers are good, but I fear they will all fail you in times of severe testing. Especially if you're confronted with the possibility of having to face death for your testimony. The only motive that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Only Christ's love constraining you will keep you faithful. From the cross, Christ's love compels us. In God's good providence, we come to this text this morning, on the same day that Nicholas and Allison fairly are here. Young people about to go serve the Lord in France. Just for the sake of understanding what we've heard may I pose a rather irreverent question to us. To them, even. Why should they bother? Why bother? They have a difficult road ahead. It can't be that much fun to be out going from place to place trying to raise enough support to go. You've got to feel like a beggar. must be discouraging when so few people are interested. And while Nicholas may be going back close to home, Allison's from Mount Vernon, I think. (laughs) And then when they arrive in France, do you have any idea what it's going to be like? Do you have any idea how hardened France is to the gospel? They kill the Huguenots. Not much has changed. They will not be welcomed with open arms. Why should they bother, really? Life's good here. Why not just stay? In fact, I don't want to embarrass them, but why should we bother with them? We don't really know them. We have lots of things to do here. There's lots of work to be done. the truth is, we don't know anybody in France. In fact, most Americans are rather disturbed with the French these days. (laughs) And we have lots of important things to spend our money on, and the truth is, it's a pretty nice day. There are better things we might like to do tonight. Why should we bother with them? In fact, why should we bother at all trying to persuade anyone of the truth of the gospel? Hey, if they want to hear, let them come to church. That's what we do, we've done. After all, we've got our own lives. We've got our own families to think about. Plus, we're not preachers. We do we even start to tell people about Christ. Let someone who gets paid to do that tell them. I'd rather watch a ball game why should I bother? Why? This morning the Lord has two reasons for us to bother. First because someday from the judgment bench Christ will demand faithfulness from us in regard to the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. It is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Christ will require faithfulness. And secondly, because from the cross, that day so long ago when Christ died to pay for our sins, Christ constrains us by his love to lay down our lives like he did. The fear of God and the love of Christ two great pillars upon which our lives and our ministry hang. And that's why we must bother. Father, I suspect every one of us in this room believes that uh, you're coming in judgment someday. And I suspect that everyone in this room gives some kind of assent to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And yet, Lord, we have only to look for a moment at our lives, at our agendas, at our lifestyle, at our schedule what we spend our money on, what we spend our time on, how we think, what we talk about. We have only to look for a moment to realize that those two events do not control us like they did the Apostle. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that even if we've, ne- if we've heard nothing new this morning, that you might plant deep in our souls a comprehension of, of what it means that you will require us to be faithful and that the love of Christ constrains us to give our lives away. Oh forbid, Lord, that we should hear this truth and just slough it off and deny the very faith in which we rest. So grow the seed of your word planted in us until it produces fruit. Much fruit, good fruit that pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.